Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So this is going to be a follow-up from the episode that I did last week. I wanted to delve a little bit further into the future humans time traveling concept. Uh, At the end of the day, I know this is a somewhat controversial topic. Some people are very convinced about it and some people are passionately putting forward the argument that it's all fake, you know, conspiracy stuff, etc. And, um, you know, if you listen to this podcast a lot, I always talk about not jumping on a team. You know, you don't need to necessarily be team nuts and bolts, teams consciousness and things like that. And you don't need to be team believer or team debunker. You know, how about we just forget about all this ridiculous concept of like joining a team, and you know, taking sides. Just look at the stuff and find take what you will from it. You know, that that's what I should try and do. So, but the important part about that is to try and look at things from all sides. Uh, and I had actually mentioned uh, that on the end of the last episode that um, I would go back into this if there was some more information that came available. And um, quite a bit of new information has come available um, from a few different angles. So I really thought it was worth doing another episode. I actually did record another episode. And uh, you may have seen, uh, if, if you follow me on Twitter, that I'd mentioned that I was going to put it out over the weekend, last weekend. Uh, but actually... Uh, every kind of day that went by there was some more information landing in my inbox and things so I just thought I'd leave it a few days uh, and put the episode out a little bit later than planned with a re-record so I can get all of the the info in. So as you may have heard me saying in the last uh, episode the first thing I thought to be honest about it you know completely open and honest about this when I first heard about this whole concept of you know human time travels from the future um, coming back to try and stop a cataclysm, um, I thought it was all a bit the guy in the sandwich board in a movie ringing a bell, shouting the end of the world is nigh, um, you know. But I have really dug into it, put some hours into this thing, and done some pretty 
you know, fairly thorough research as, as much as I can do. And um, I think it's just a lot more complex than initially meets the eye. So I've um, sent out a lot of emails to people over the last few weeks since I've been looking into this. And uh, a few people who I've already managed to connect with in the past and a few people that I've never spoken to before. And uh, luckily, most people I've contacted were really helpful, uh, especially those people who I've actually had interactions with in the past because they sort of know my approach and know I'm not like a troll or whatever. And, you know, very helpful in, in, you know, helping to get me some more information on this and be as informed as possible. And uh, the thing about me, I'll always try and be honest and and I never hype things up and sensationalise, try my best to look at it from all different angles. And um, I have heard some individuals diving into this particular area quite convinced of it. I'm trying to offer a, a bit more of a detailed explanation about what's being put forward whilst also remaining as logical as possible and seriously considering some counter arguments as, as much as I can. And um, I did a bit of that with the counter-arguments in my previous episode whilst kind of laying out the basics of what's actually being discussed here in the theory, Um, which is, just to quickly go into that again, the basic idea of this whole thing is that there's future humans actually travelling back in time from the future. And uh, there's two factions of these humans. One of them is from the near future after a cataclysm, which may be happening in the next five or ten years. Not clear exactly what the cataclysm is. And the other faction of humans is from way in the future, um, after the point where the cataclysm has happened, changed the face of the earth as we know it. And um, at that point in time, once the climate has changed as a result of the cataclysm the eventually down the line this new type of human kind of evolves on the planet which looks like a, a typical alien gray and uh, that we're familiar with from you know movies and the typical depiction of an alien uh, in the mainstream and the concept is the distant uh, humans the the gray type are coming back to try and ensure that the cataclysm does happen and the relatively near future humans uh, coming back to try and stop the cataclysm. And the reason for that is the future humans in the near future just don't want it to happen because of what it actually does to the planet. And the, the future humans way in the future, the, the grey type of humans, um, want it to happen because if it doesn't happen, then they wouldn't exist. So that's basically a quick rundown of the concept, but I, I went into a bit more detail in the first episode, so if you did miss that, probably worth going back and um, just checking that out. So as I said, this episode's going to dig a little bit more into where the info's coming from, some of the reasons why, the, why this may actually not be as legit as some people are making out, and at the end of the day, it's up to you to make up your own mind. Um, I really try not to dismiss anything based on having already made up my mind. And there's been a f- you know a number of things in recent years that I've dismissed as being a bit too outlandish, and then it's turned out that a lot of other things have come out, and as new facts become available, you know, sort of changed my mind on that, which I think is reasonable to do. So, well, let's dig straight into it because there's quite a lot to get through. So, first of all, the disinfo misinfo thing. So I touched on this again in a previous episode, but just to clarify, disinformation is the dissemination of false information where the person actually disseminating the info is aware of what's taking place and is an active participant. 
misinformation is the unintentional spread of false information so misinformation is where the information is potentially being channeled through an individual or individuals without their knowledge um and disinformation is when that's you know taking place with full full knowledge of the the participants and I still think that when you're talking about this future humans time traveling concept, I do think that is still a possibility. In fact, I would say personally quite likely. Uh, you have to think that at the moment, the secret keepers would be trying everything at this point because they sort of, if you believe that there are people within, you know, intelligence services, within secret departments, within the government that are trying to keep this thing a secret and have been doing for decades you have to feel that there must be a sense of panic amongst those people at the moment. They're losing control of the situation. You know, there's a lot of different ways to look at that though, because some actually believe that there is a truth dissemination project underway being undertaken by certain departments within the US government and intelligence channels. And it's even possible that there is a disinfo campaign underway and a truth dissemination campaign taking place at the same time, <laughs> each being operated by separate factions within the intelligence services, within the military, whatever you want to think of it as. So it's such a complicated picture, and without any actual hard facts or data, it's, it's a lot of speculation involved. But as I say, I find it interesting to look into because it's one of those scenarios where it's, you know, it's... Um, what's at stake here is is very significant you know if it turns out to be a disinformation campaign that's a really big story the fact that the government are trying to hide what's really going on with ufos by throwing out this red herring that that's a big story in and of itself you know or if it turns out that it is actually true that's obviously a huge story as well so whatever the outcome of this whatever you think of it i do think it's one of those that's a big story that's interesting to consider so since I did the last episode, I've, I've spoken to a few other people who prefer to remain off record um, or in some cases have not quite managed to clarify whether they want to be on record or off record yet. So best to play on the safe side and, and keep them the names off record for now. But it's safe to say that a lot of these people I've been speaking to are names within the UFO world that you would probably recognize if you, if you heard the name. So some of these people have told me that it is all mostly speculative and there is no actual proof of this. You know, remember Lou Elizondo has said we must leave all options on the table. You know, perhaps this is just one of those options which is left on the table, but due to the sensational nature of this theory, it's been the one that has kind of gained momentum and ended up spreading like wildfire in the community because let's be honest, it's an exciting concept, isn't it? You know, it's perhaps more exciting than certain other explanations that could explain some of the what's going on with the UFO phenomenon. And again, I think it's important to consider as well that it's most likely that the UFO phenomenon can't be explained by just one particular theory or concept of one narrative is not going to explain away the entire thing so it could be all of the above you know as as Luella Zonda was said in the past and um I've actually spoken to quite a few respected researchers who I'm in contact with as I say who told me that they think it is all speculation and even actually a lot of the sources that are coming forward um, or a lot of the, the the journalists and researchers who, who have sources even they're saying that there is a lot of speculation involved in this thing so it's not a, a dead cert you know that's for sure 
Um, but I've, like I say, I've spoken to researchers, especially that have come forward after I recorded the previous episode. I have spoken to a few people who I put a lot of faith in who have said that they don't really put any stock into this thing. So having said that, there's a few others who have said that they're quite convinced of this as being a reality and, and they don't question where this information is coming from. So, you know, I have been quite shocked at the extent of the support for this particular concept this narrative from highly respected individuals but the fact remains that these credible sources are only receiving their information from inside sources which basically you know is just a handful of people so this information is really kind of coming from quite a small number of inside sources and i think that alone really should be enough to to question where this information is coming from one, one difficulty within the UFO community is that these things are often based on a very small number of sources and these sources remain anonymous to the wider public. Now, they're not anon- anonymous to the person that they're actually in contact with, but they are anonymous to the wider public. And I think that's very important to consider because if you're the person receiving this information, you're a journalist or a researcher and you're receiving information from an inside source, that source isn't anonymous to you but it is anonymous to the wider public or the UFO community in general. They're just hearing, oh, I heard from a guy that this is the case. How much faith can you really put into that without knowing actually who that source is? Because let's consider for a second that Anjali, for example. Now, Anjali recently has kind of you know, gone a bit off the rails. The, the, you know, the, the whole uh, concept that she was putting forward was regarding um, an expedition that was planned to gather data and now the expedition suddenly off the table and now we're left with no, no data really to, to actually grab hold of and the whole thing seems to have taken a turn for the worse. And at this point, um, a bit sad to see really, um, you know, that the whole thing has descended into a bit of a shambles. Now, the thing is, is that, Anjali, as much as the situation has become a bit shambolic, Anjali was actually from a defence intelligence background. So the credibility that she has as a defence intelligence officer lended a lot of um, credibility to her account that she was putting forward. So if Anjali hadn't come forward in the public eye, hadn't revealed her name and had a Twitter account and so on, but she had spoken to a researcher, that researcher would have then said at that point in time, I've got a defence intelligence source who has told me that she's met with a purple mantid in in a hill. Okay, so without actually being able to see Anjali's body language and the way she talks and keep track of the story over a number of weeks and months and be able to poke holes in it, if you were being told that you had this defence intelligence source without seeing the whole bigger picture, you might think it was quite credible. But when you actually see the bigger picture, it becomes clear that actually it wasn't very credible after all. So I do think that that in itself is a reason that we should perhaps, you know, always ask more questions and make sure that we don't just go, okay, it's a source from such a body, so blah, blah, blah. The fact is, even in that situation that I just outlined, even the researcher might not know the bigger picture. They might just be getting snippets of information based purely on the fact that this person has a defense intelligence background, but that's not always enough. So another person that I've spoken to a bit more um, this week as well is is UFO Satan. So if you're active on UFO Twitter, you may be familiar with this gentleman by the name of UFO Satan. 
Now, UFO Satan has a bit of a different approach to me in terms of interacting people with, um, you know, with, with people on socials. I made the decision when I joined to never sort of insult anyone, and, and you know, especially on Twitter, even when I totally disagree with them. And um, I've stuck to that so far. Sometimes it tests my patience a bit, but you know, that's this, the approach I decided to go with. And I think it's fair to say that UFO Satan has a bit of a less diplomatic approach than myself. Let's just put it that way. Um, but the thing is, though, that's fair enough. You know, I can't judge a man for expressing himself in whatever way he chooses. And the fact is, when you look at the topics he's tweeted about and his his angles on certain things within the UFO topic, I, th I think his track record kind of speaks for itself. He obviously knows what he's talking about and has been involved in this for a long time and has built up some good good contacts and sources from, from the inside. And yeah, I've, I've reached out and, and spoken to UFO Satan over the last week and he has sources which are saying very much the same kinds of things that I'm hearing from some of my own sources, which, as I mentioned earlier, there, there are sources talking about this topic of time travellers taking it quite seriously. But what I'm hearing from other inside sources or people in positions to know is that they're unaware of this being discussed at all, or if it has been discussed, it's highly speculative and not a leading theory to explain the phenomenon at this stage. Um, essentially, it's, it, it's my point here is that it's quite far from there being a consensus amongst people in the know on this theory. There is no consensus. It's not like everyone's in agreement behind the scenes about this. Now, from what I've been told about uh, the sources that UFO Satan is referencing, I have no reason to doubt their credibility. I can't go into any more detail than that, but there it is. So the possibility of disinfo remains, in, in my opinion. I can't say I know that that's what it is, but I have my suspicions that you know this thing's been a bit, a bit overhyped, perhaps, the, the time traveller narrative. It, maybe it's being pushed as a distraction. Maybe it is a possibility that's on the table because everything has to remain on the table. But perhaps this is being pushed to the forefront a bit more than perhaps it deserves at this stage. The fact here is that not all of the sources on the inside are on the same page with this. There's not a consensus that this is what's going on and you know let's just dive headfirst into this angle. It's one of many angles. And you may think that, you know, Ross Coltart's sources are probably higher up the food chain, you know, and he's getting better information right from the top level. And, you know, Frank's just talked to a cleaner at the CIA or whatever. But maybe the lower levels aren't aware of this discussion, you know, maybe that's what you might be thinking. Now, I can't go into where these sources are, my sources personally that I've been in contact with and, and have heard through other people. But I would just say, from what I've personally seen and heard, that is not the case can't go into any more detail than that but yeah I, I just think at all levels there is no consensus that time traveling uh, humans from the future is the main thing they're looking at it's just one of many options so moving on we've got um john ramirez so john ramirez is another name that's come up quite a lot recently on ufo twitter over the last few weeks so John has a very in-depth knowledge of the intelligence community after a long and distinguished career within and has had an excellent interview recently with Project Unity. Now, the thing is with that particular presentation, his knowledge of the intelligence community is a bit 
undeniable, I think, at this point. There was some more speculative elements towards the end of that presentation, which I found interesting, but they are speculative. Uh, informed speculation may be, but still largely based on speculation. So one element discussed, though, actually, which I found very interesting, was that John is currently actively working on releasing some hybridization information, which would require the revelation of some identities. So it's a tricky thing to navigate legally. But these are interesting concepts with the hybridization and the DNA thing that Lou Elizondo mentioned recently. And the interesting thing here that caught my attention is that John is really going through the proper process, which is being followed you know, behind the scenes and making sure that everything's above board and legal to bring this information that he claims he has about hybridization. He's going through the correct steps to bring that forward legally. So I, for one, would be very interested to read that information as and when it becomes available. But at this point, it is largely based on speculation. But what I'm about to discuss does not relate to that. It actually is directly relating to the in-depth knowledge that John Ramirez has of the intelligence community, having had an extensive career within that area. So this information comes from a place of direct knowledge gained through a career in that exact area. So it's definitely worth considering. And Tim McMillan recently praised the presentation as the best he's ever seen as it relates to intelligence community knowledge. And coming from Tim McMillan, that is high praise indeed, as he himself has got a very thorough knowledge of the inner workings of the intelligence community, which is, I'm sure, you know, if you've looked into it at all, it's a very complex area, lots of different departments, a, a complex history behind it. And it's one that we could all do well to learn more about because it's highly relevant to this topic. So I've been in communication with John Ramirez over the last week. Uh, last couple of weeks actually and first of all John has specifically requested that I make it clear that these responses were as a result of a direct inquiry from me to John so John is not a lawyer and these comments are not legal advice John asked me to clearly state that disclaimer as well it is also worth noting that that me personally, Frank, I am not a lawyer either, and I'm merely an observer, dissecting what information I can get my hands on, trying to make sense of it all, and I just offer my findings up to you, the listener, so you can do the same. So let's go into some of the things that John has actually told me then. Um, I was asking John a few questions about things to do with sources, because that's where all this information is coming from, with the time-travelling narrative and everything. They're all coming from sources. There's nobody who's gone on the record. There's no documents. There's no actual tangible evidence that we can put forward at this stage. It's all coming from sources. So I was interested, with John's in-depth knowledge of the intelligence community, I was interested in finding out about how it really works with sources and how reliable is the information coming from a source particularly sources that have been ongoing for some time so i was asking john about that and um, my specific question was given your background and knowledge of the intelligence community i'd love to hear what your thoughts on inside sources giving information to researchers slash ufologists how long do you think a source could provide information from the inside without being detected and or compromised and john's response to that was quote 
If the source has leaked true unauthorized information and the researcher has publicly shown the true unauthorized information, then in the US, the counterintelligence establishment by law is authorized to investigate the link between the researcher and the source. An evidentiary chain of custody that will hold up in court must be established. It will simply be a matter of investigating one by one the list of authorised persons to the information and building a case for prosecution. It might take days, weeks, etc., but the leaker will be discovered. Unquote. So that kind of ties in with something I mentioned on the previous episode and something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently. You have to think that if somebody from the inside of any department within US intelligence or the military for that matter, if they are communicating with a researcher on the outside and giving information or videos or anything of that nature to somebody outside of the intelligence service, outside of the military, somebody who basically they shouldn't be having that conversation with, that's not going to go unnoticed. There are people, counterintelligence, their whole thing is to find out about things like that. And as soon as a researcher says, look, I've got this information, people, you know, it's about time travelers, say, for example, in this case, or it could apply to a lot of other things as well. As soon as a researcher says that, it's a red flag to a bull in terms of intelligence, counterintelligence. They're going to be looking at that straight away. They're going to jump on it. And and John basically there, I think, is confirming that that is the case. You know, people can't just give information from the inside to people in the UFO community without being discovered. So I think that's worth considering. Now, what you take from that, I suppose, is up to you. But really, the fact is, how much can you really trust a source? Because sooner or later, that source is going to be discovered by counterintelligence. And again, you can you can kind of make of that what you will. But my thing is that if a source has been discovered by counterintelligence, it would then be possible for counterintelligence to control the flow of inter- information to that individual, the source individual on the inside. And what that would then allow them to do is whatever information that they want to disseminate within the UFO community, they would be able to do that simply by putting information in front of that source in a way that the source perhaps doesn't even realize they've done it in order to be able to get that information out. And you could use that to test the waters, certain topics, you know, see how the UFO community handle it before you decide whether or not to put it out to the wider public. In that sense, the UFO community is a fantastic testing pool, whether or not you consider that they are um, spreading, you know, disinformation, which has nothing to do with the reality of what's going on. Or even if you believe, as you know, some people do, that what's actually happening is the dissemination of the truth. You know, they're slowly but surely revealing more and more of what they know because they realize that they have to do now because of whatever reasons. Whatever you think may be the case there, these sources are not going to be able to get away with passing on information to people outside of the intelligence community without being detected. And once they're detected, they may not even realize that they are detected, but information will be able to be controlled in that particular way. And I think that we've got to consider that because, you know, if we're going off information here to form our our opinion of what's actually really going on with the UFO phenomenon, we have to bear in mind that if we're listening to sources on the inside, 
you know, information's coming from these sources. I don't think that these sources will be able to give true information without being compromised for very long. Uh, you know, as John seems to back up there with, with what he's actually saying. So um, the next question, I'll go into a few of these because I asked him quite a lot and John was very kind uh, in, in that he actually responded to him in quite a lot of detail. So I think it's worth going into. So the other question I asked him was, what would be likely to happen if an inside source was caught giving information to researchers slash ufologists? Does that depend on whether the information being provided was classified or not? So I was thinking along the lines of, you know, at the end of the day, if the information is not classified, maybe they can get away with it. Maybe that explains how somebody can have an ongoing, continuous inside source feeding them information. So John's responses, um, which I found very interesting relating to that, were, quote, the researcher will not be guilty of the security infraction, but refusal to cooperate with the authorities to identify the leaker will be regarded as an obstruction of justice and the researcher can be so charged. As stated above, the leaker can be prosecuted under espionage statutes. If the information is fabricated, then nothing happens. There is no prohibition for dis dissemination of fiction as no law was violated, unquote. So I think what, what John is basically saying there is that if real information relating to intelligence gathered within the intelligence community is is spread to researchers, people within the UFO community, then it's actually potentially going to be prosecutable. So the source themselves is not only going to be uh, potentially discovered, but could also be prosecuted. Now, the researcher in that situation wouldn't be um, guilty of any, any security infraction. But as, as John mentions there, if the researcher is approached in that situation and refuse to cooperate with the authorities to identify the leaker, that's actually regarded as an obstruction of justice. So my point is, there's actually a legal case here that if any of these sources supposedly giving information to researchers, if they really want to, counterintelligence can actually approach these researchers and say, look, we, we, we know that you've been given this information. You are now legally obligated to tell us who gave you that information. So all of this stuff really sort of makes me question how much you can really take on board what these sources are really saying. Because the fact is, if a source is, is leaking information from the inside, I think it's a matter of time before they're going to be caught. And, and once they're caught, they can either be prosecuted for having spread that information outside of where they should have spread it, or the information can be controlled that's going to that source in order to control narratives within the UFO community and, and obviously the wider public as a result of that. And I did actually go into a little bit more questions as well, um, uh, asking John, um, regarding the previous points, would you say it's fairly unlikely then that a source from the inside could be leaking information out to researchers on an ongoing basis without being compromised? Part of my reason for asking is the human time traveler narrative, which is apparently coming from sources um, with inside the CIA or ex-CIA sources. 
trying to understand how likely it could be that these sources are trusted. My thinking is that the source would be detected by counterintelligence and then potentially the flow of information to that source could be controlled. Maybe false information could be put out through that source to be used as a distraction from what's really going on. Would be interested to hear your thoughts on that. To which John replied, quote, I alluded to that very scenario with Jay. Either the information is true, but will be a one-off, or the information has been deliberately tainted as a cover story, unquote. So basically, John there is saying it's very unlikely to have ongoing relations with a source because that source is going to be either uncovered and turned to actively give disinformation out to the UFO community or that is likely to happen without the knowledge of the source the information is going to be fed to that source and then the way that uh, John has said tainted there is quite interesting because that that's something that we've heard quite a lot before about disinformation campaigns that there's a mixture of truth and fiction being given so the, the information there I, I found it quite interesting the wording there tainted because it may actually there may actually be a lot of elements of this that are true. For example, the human time traveler narrative could actually be a, one of the, 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 the concepts being discussed here as a possible explanation for some of the phenomenon. But the tainted aspect of it could be that it's made out to be a lot more of a significant thing than it actually is in order to make it a bit more spice up the story a little bit to really get people's attention whilst something else is going on over here and you don't show them that bit so i thought that was all uh, worth mentioning because uh, this sources thing is something that we hear a lot about and, and the problem is obviously the contradiction as you may have realized here is that i myself have, have actually mentioned about several sources uh, during the course of this and the previous episode and um, but my kind of point with that is I don't really expect anybody listening to this to hear me saying, "Oh, I've got a source who said this," and to you know to take those sources as anything factual because they're really not. You know, a source is is an interesting tidbit of information, but we have to really thoroughly question where that information is really coming from. You know, I'm not naive enough to think that somebody could be on the inside of the CIA and just dribbling information out undetected without you know without having having the source of that information being compromised controlled um if if somebody was leaking information out from inside the CIA high up even within within any of these organizations you know because obviously in order to take a source seriously you know you would hope that they're not just in the lowly sort of like office levels of of, uh, of uh, these organizations you would hope that they're fairly high up and have direct knowledge of these things so if somebody really was that high up i don't think that they would be able to get away with dribbling information out without being detected and then what happens after the, after they are detected depends on a lot of things but yeah very very interesting information there um, so I thought I'd get all of that, all of that in. Hopefully, it, it was interesting there um, to to listen to. But particularly uh, interesting, just to finish off on that, was either the information is true but will be a one-off, or the information has been deliberately tainted as a cover story. I mean, I I, I can't um, I can't you know overstate how important I think that particular little quote is because what what John is saying there is that. A one-off leak may well take place, you know, but 
as soon as that leak happens, it's a red flag to a bull. That was the exact phrase I used in the previous episode before I'd even spoken to John. It just seems obvious to me that that's going to be the case. As soon as they... As soon as that information comes out through a researcher, it's a red flag to a bull and, and they're going to be on it. They're going to find out where that information has come from and then at that point, they've got a number of options as to what actually is going to happen. They could allow that source to continue giving information out to the to the UFO researcher or, or whatever it may be um, or they can prosecute them or they can they can turn them and, and make them, uh, you know, at that point in time, a disinfo agent. Um, so maybe something to consider when we're talking about these sources one-off leaks may be a lot more reliable than ongoing sources who have been giving information out from the inside over a number of years it's um it's a difficult one to put forward and i hope i've managed to do that in a way that that doesn't um question anybody's credibility because that's not what i'm trying to do here but we have to consider that if a, if a source is an ongoing source how trustworthy is that source but again, without knowing the actual individual personally that this information is coming from, we can't really make that call. It's a difficult one. So moving on from that, is this whole thing about time travel and narratives a bit of a gift to the skeptics? And it's a bit of a concern that I have with all this, that it really could be a bit of a gift to the skeptics. I've already seen a few people you know on social media and so on laughing it up saying oh this confirms the you know the gullibility of the ufo community you know the ufo community is full of nutcases they think everyone's traveling from the future and things like that now obviously those are quite ignorant points of view anyway um we should leave everything on the table in my opinion and and you know um mocking a new idea when it comes up is not necessarily the best approach but how much should that really affect the conversation you know, the skinwalkers at the Pentagon book has been laughed at in the exact same way, but I think there's a lot of important information in there. It talks about the, the, the history, the formation of ORSAP and all of the various things that, that were included in that period of time. And does it really harm the conversation, you know, this, this concept of, of future human time travel? I, I would say that it's almost certainly too soon to be having that conversation with the wider public, but does it harm the, the credibility of the conversation being had by the UFO community? I don't know. You know, maybe Anjali's situation harms the conversation. Maybe the Skinwalker's book harms the conversation. Do abduction accounts harm, harm the conversation? You know, it, it's difficult to say, isn't it? If, if this harms the conversation, it opens up the, the possibility of what about all those other things that are outlandish? This, this topic is full of outlandish concepts, you know? how much should that really affect the extent that we take these things seriously? I mean, you know, it's one of those each individual has to make up their own mind, I suppose. Another concept that I wanted to go into, another little area, um, this actually is, is going into a, a bit of a flip side, really, of what I've just been talking about. So I've also been looking into the the, the work of Michael P. Masters. So I first heard about his work through the um, Point of Convergence podcast, which I've recommended on this show many times in the past. Uh, and Exo Academian over there has done an excellent series on the time traveler hypothesis. Uh, and I've actually been speaking with Exo behind the scenes as well over the last couple of weeks uh, via email. And we've been talking about uh, a few questions that I had um, about some of the things he's been putting forward. I've been just trying to clarify a few things. Um, 
And aside from the the current buzz around this time traveller concept being discussed, um, Michael P. Masters has for years now been looking into the concepts of extraterrestrial greys actually being human beings from the future. And I find that a fantastic, a fascinating uh, concept in general. And it may be the case that they actually are. You know, I'm not saying that it's not. Um, my question to Michael, because I actually reached out to Michael to clarify a couple of things, was if it really is the case that greys are us from the future, what kind of time frame are we looking at? Is it possible to look at the evolution of the, the human current modern human body type um, and see if there's anything that you can use to extrapolate out how long it would take for a modern human to actually evolve into uh, an extraterrestrial grey body type? And um, this is something I'd actually asked um, Exo Academian about. Um, I said, you know, is there any indications of if these, you know, greys actually are humans, how long would it take for that body type to evolve? Is there any um, indications of that from evolutionary biologists, etc.? Now, um, Michael P. Masters was actually kind enough to respond to my email uh, with the following response. Um, thanks for the email i've got a project in development that if it gets picked up we are planning on doing some 3d computer modeling with geometric morphometrics to get a better answer to that question but the short version is right now is assuming these commonly observed gray forms are not ai which i don't think they are and assuming the accelerating rate of evolutionary change continues which it should considering how long it already has then I think at minimum we're looking at 8,000 to 12,000 years. Although there are other issues related to sex, age and geographic variation that I discuss in my book and on various shows when the question comes up, which makes it harder to pin down the exact archetype form and that we and that have to be factored into any future modeling algorithm as well. Lots of factors to consider, but we are working out some methods for how we may be able to do it. So I thought that was a really interesting interesting response and very appreciative to Michael P. Masters there for, for getting in touch, uh, responding to my inquiry. Uh, very kind of him to, to spend a bit of his time to do so. Uh, I believe I was actually listening to... Um, exo academian's most recent episode and i believe uh, great minds think alike um exo had also contacted um michael p masters and had a, a similar response which clarified that eight to twelve thousand years uh, rough time frame so i did think that was very interesting um and this book by the way um identified flying objects is where michael p masters actually lays out his whole thinking behind this in way more detail than i can get into right now and that published that book was actually published in march 2019 so nearly three years ago and it's clear that more studies are being lined up to dig into this further so let's see what this uh, further analysis brings you know as always data is king you know the thing about this this concept of of cataclysms as well is that's been spoken about since well i suppose since time immemorial really ever since humans have existed on this planet there's always been stories of big things falling out of the sky and so on and i've heard avi loeb and graham hancock talking about that kind of thing for years way before avi was involved with the galileo project um, and I, I remember hearing graham hancock talking about this these kind of things you know years and years even before ttsa came out and things like that 
So I think there's valid conversations to be had about possible cataclysms and being prepared for it. And I think it's a valid conversation to have about whether or not greys are future humans. The fact is, whether we like it or not, there are much more qualified people than myself, much cleverer people than myself looking into both of those areas, you know. Um, but does that affect, you know, whether or not this particular concept which seems to have been thrust into the the forefront of of conversations within the ufo topic does it affect the credibility of that how seriously we should take it you know i don't know does that play into it it's up to you to make up your own mind and, and as always you know, time will tell no no pun intended there so what what sort of final conclusions can we reach for now you know well there will be Hopefully, if everything goes to plan, there'll be some guests that I'm going to have on the podcast in the near future who will hopefully be able to shed a little bit more light on this, amongst some other things as well. But I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on this topic. It's quite a divisive one, really. Uh, where do you stand? You know, is this legit? This this theory of, of future human time travelers is it total BS? Is it a bit of both? Do you think the possibility of disinfo, you know, is is worth considering? Does the fact that the UFO topic is quite fixated on this at the moment, does it harm the conversation? You know, is this narrative being put out there to specifically harm the conversation even? You know, I don't have a firm conclusion either way, really. You know, as, as John Ramirez said, you know, embrace widely, hold lightly. You know, take all of these things on board, but don't get too attached to anyone. And... Um, you know, I'm trying to learn the lessons to be open whilst not being gullible. You know, it's it's not easy. Sometimes I'll probably get the balance wrong as well. I'm just just a human being at the end of the day. We're all, uh, you know, none of us are perfect. Um, but I think the main point that this makes me think about is that there's something to this. You know, in terms of the, there is quite a large number now of, of researchers who I have a lot of respect for who are convinced that this is a reality. If their sources are all wrong, what does that mean? Does that make you reevaluate how worthwhile these sources actually are? If we if we're willing to accept info from outside sources as being something to consider as part of this conversation, we kind of can't pick and choose what info we accept based on what narratives we find appealing. You know, added to that, there's the concept of the impending cataclysm, which is part of this human future human narrative being behind some of the ufos that we're witnessing but it could be quite likely that 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 doesn't necessarily prove anything because we've known about potential apocalypse scenarios for a long time totally outside of the time travel theory that's just recently been being discussed you know and you could look at that either way it could be one of those where if the time traveler thing is a, a disinformation campaign to detract from something else that's going on then they could have just taken on board a couple of various scenarios that have been discussed in the past you know time travels future apocalypse those sound easy enough to accept we've heard of these things before we have a vague concept of how it all works you know and it's just exciting enough to take everyone's attention and it, it kind of 
incorporates several previously accepted concepts and it's one of those where as humans we kind of want the pieces of the puzzle to fit in a perfect way and if somebody presents a theory where those pieces do fit in a perfect way we we you know we just go yeah that feels good you know but you know again you know it could be that the pieces of the puzzle really do fit and that's why everything seems to click into place so you could look at it from either perspective there i think and again, you know, another thing to consider is that this whole concept of time travel is unbelievably complex. You know, the whole butterfly effect thing. And surely it would be unbelievably risky to alter the past in any way, even the tiniest little way, seeing as the future could be affected in ways that we can't imagine. Now, I'm no expert, but even changing the, the tiniest thing could have ripples way off into the future, you would, you would imagine. And would they, if that is the case, would they really risk interfering? But see, I have actually heard that many top scientists, physicists involved with time travel experimentation and looking into these things are saying that there would potentially not be paradoxes involved. In other words, if you did travel back in time and change the past, the future doesn't necessarily get affected. And... I've heard this recently being used as a way of backing up the theory of future human time travelers and oh actually time travel you know could be possible and these paradoxes don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily happen but unfortunately that that's a weird one because it doesn't really work if that is the case then okay fine but then there would be no point traveling back in time to change the past at all because if you were trying to stop a cataclysm then it simply wouldn't work if if things that are changed in the past don't affect the future timeline then what's the point of traveling back to try and stop a cataclysm because it wouldn't work anyway however if the paradoxes are a thing then surely it will become so complex that the whole thing would be way too risky so which is it you know there's people saying the mandela effect is real the grandfather paradox you know the, the concept of if you went back in time and killed your own grandfather then you would never exist and you would just disappear in the future because you, you, if your grandfather never had never uh, had the, your father and then your father never had you you wouldn't exist anymore so if you went back and killed your grandfather that'd be the end of the future timeline where you exist you know if that is real then there are scientists saying that you know that that might actually not be how it works and that our whole concept of reality is flawed and and that's not really how the whole thing works or these paradoxes wouldn't actually be the case so there's a lot of contradictions here and some people may not want to hear that but there are contradictions there it's like if if the the actual paradoxes are real then it's going to be way too complicated to go back and risk changing anything because the future would be you know chaos you know all you've got to do is is a few very small things which could have a knock-on effect into completely changing the future and there are people saying that this mandela effect the grandfather paradox and so on are real and some of the sources that are claiming to put this theory forward are directly saying that but then the scientists saying that actually maybe that's not how it works, which would discount the entire concept of people traveling back in time to change things. So it's not that simple. And the fact remains, the disinformation, misinformation thing to me at this stage is probably one of the more likely possibilities. You know, we don't, we don't really know. We can't know anything in this situation for a fact, or at least, you know, we can't have a firm conclusion at this point probably a better way to put it 
But I think the best way to approach it, at least in my opinion, is to understand that this is one of many options on the table. There are others. And I'll just finish off by saying Chris Mellon just literally did an interview a couple of days ago that said, quote, of course it could be extraterrestrial, unquote. And then he goes on to say, quote, that hypothesis fits the data better than any other hypothesis that I'm aware of, unquote. Now that has to make you think, doesn't it? Chris Mellon is one of the people who, if anybody knows, Chris Mellon knows. And he's not saying the time traveller theory is the hypothesis that fits the data better than anything else. No, no. He's saying the extraterrestrial hypothesis is the data. I quote him again. Let me read that out one more time. Quote, of course it could be extraterrestrial. That hypothesis fits the data better than any other hypothesis that I'm aware of. Unquote. That's got to make you think. I mean, Chris Mellon has to be aware of these other these other hypotheses in terms of time travellers and all these various other bits and pieces. And he's saying that that's the hypothesis that, that for him fits fits best. So make of that what you will. I hope this has been interesting to listen to. I'm going to leave it there in terms of the time traveller thing for now. As I say, it's going to be touched upon on a few interviews that I'm going to be doing in the near future as well. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. Very difficult to actually find any fact in the situation, but hopefully my kind of going through it and, and trying to you know figure out what's going on here has, has helped in some ways to give you a few different things to think about. Um, so I'm going to leave it there for now. I um, just want to say a big thank you to everybody who signed up on Patreon. Um, I have uh, been. I posted a message about some listener questions for a guest that we've got coming up soon. So if you've not checked your messages on Patreon, might be worth going having a look. Um, I've been trying to get my head around the Patreon app. Um, it's a little bit um, a bit difficult to actually understand, to be honest. So um, I do apologise if you message me and I don't get back to you straight away because it's a bit uh, a bit hard to navigate the app for now. But I'll get used to it as we go along, guys. Um, but yeah, big thank you to anyone who's who's joined up there. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and I'm going to leave it there for now. So until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Thinker Podcast.